This week, we continue in our journey through 1 Peter. Uh, last, or the, the previous time that, that, we were, that we were in 1 Peter, in this book, we were looking at how, how we're, we're kind of like ducks, and, and that Jesus is the one that allows us to, to fly past and, and out of the distracting barns that we encounter along the flight of life. This week, we, we talk a bit about the struggles that happen during that flight, the turbulence that we hit along the way. We're going to leave the duck analogy behind, but we're going to focus on the hardships of the Christian walk. Suffering is, is part of the walk of faith. And how are, we, how are we doing with that? Like, how have we experienced it? How, how have we mistaken it? How have we been encouraged in spite of it? This week, Peter hits on some pretty important facets of the Christian life. And though it can be scary and, and even convicting, let it also be encouraging as we remember the one who suffers alongside us and most importantly, suffered for us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, we read the word of the Lord this morning. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory in God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Karen and I were, uh, we were browsing Netflix, like, I don't know, about a month, month and a half ago now. And uh, we, we came upon a documentary by the name of American Gospel. Naturally, our interest was piqued. It ended up being a, a pretty terrific watch, and, and I would recommend it to, to any of you. It was a bit long. like It, it was about two and a half hours long. It could have been like an hour, hour and a half. They would have got the point across just fine. But uh, it was still, like, it, was, it, it was just really good. And, and so other than, other than uh, critiquing some of the editing, uh, it, it, was a very, it was a very good watch. The premise of the documentary is that America has done what Paul rebuked the Galatians for doing for following another gospel other than the one that was preached to them by Paul. This other gospel that the documentary shines a light on is, is, one, is that of health and wealth, the, the prosperity teaching. The idea that if God loves you, then, then you are living a life that you're supposed to be living and, and that your life will be blessed and, and good. The documentary points out that we seek what we want to hear and not that which is actually truth. I can hear the train coming. Like it's, it's like impending. It's like fo the footsteps of, of your father, you know, and I, I would be like sleeping and reading and you could just hear the impending like, like doom coming. Oh no, I got to get out of this. It's, it's on the way. So it's going to get a little loud, hopefully not crazy loud. We'll see how this goes. 
But anyway, the health, the, 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 the gospel that this was preaching was, uh, you know, if we believe and, and that, that we are healthy and wealthy, like we will be happy. This is what, this is what we are being fed. We don't want to be sick, right? We don't want to die of disease and of sickness. This is incredibly clear to us as we look at how we have responded to things like the coronavirus, which is a legitimate killer in its own right. But look at the power that we have given it. Look at the fear we have lived in because of it. And wealth, wealth has been the end game of the American dream since we achieved independence. Those who have it are put on a pedestal. Many who seek it become consumed by the pursuit and many who have it are consumed by, by keeping it, by holding on to it. This is not to say that it is sinful to be healthy or sinful to be rich. What is sinful is when we make idols of health and wealth. And that is what has happened with the American gospel, the gospel that tells us that God doesn't want us to be sick, that God wants each of us to be healthy. All right, all right, I think that train whistle is, is about done. But this, this gospel, this American gospel, it, it tells us that God doesn't want us to be sick, that God wants each of us to be healthy. This is a gospel that says that bad things shouldn't happen to good people. The gospel that says that God, if, if he is truly love and truly all-powerful, should put a stop to the pain and the hate and the hurt and the division and the injustice that we see so incredibly clearly in the world around us today. But the American gospel isn't the true gospel, is it? And, and as much as we wish it was for life here on earth would be considerably easier for each of us if, if that was true in, in any form, if that was true in any way. But the reality is, the truth is, that the American gospel is a false gospel. The American gospel is a gospel that looks, that looks to our idols and sees God as a means to achieve them. In the American gospel, what, what we want is health and wealth, not God. We just expect the, the all-powerful God, creator of the universe, to give our idols, to give what we have put before him, what, what we have considered more important than him. We expect him to give those to us. What a shock the truth is to the lies that we desire to believe. For what does Peter write to the church in exile, the church that is alone and, and hurting and scared? Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter is saying that there will be seasons in life when Christians will lack provision, when they will lack power, position, protection, and any sense of permanence. Peter is saying that at times we will become recipients of verbal or physical persecutions that arise on account of the word of God. Peter is making it incredibly clear that things will not always be rosy and comfortable for Christians. That it shouldn't surprise us when life is difficult. There will be a day when sorrow will end, when justice will be done, when all the wrongs will be made right, and there will be no more tears or pain, no more suffering. And we look forward to that day, to the eternal and lasting promise that we have of that day. But as we rest in that promise, we recognize that today is not that day. And so while our eyes are on the horizon, 
We live in the day that we have been given. And in this day, we are promised persecution. Something we don't really like to talk about, but is intended to be a reality of the Christian walk. John Piper tells the story of Brother Andrew. He's a Dutch missionary from before the end of the Cold War. Brother Andrew told the story of of sitting in, in Budapest, Hungary, with a dozen pastors of that city teaching them from the Bible. And in walked an old friend, a, a pastor from Romania who had recently been released from prison. And Brother Andrew said that he stopped his teaching and he knew that it was time to listen. After a long pause, this, this Romanian pastor said, Andrew, are there any pastors in prison in Holland? No, was the reply. Well, why not? The Romanian pastor asked. Brother Andrew thought for a moment and said, I I think it must be because we do not take advantage of all the opportunities that God has given us. Just sit in that for a second. Why is nobody here in prison? Because I do not think that we take advantage of all the opportunities that God has given us. And, and, And then comes the most difficult question from the Romanian pastor. Andrew. What do you do with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12? Brother Andrew opened his Bible and turned to the text and read aloud, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He closed the Bible and slowly said, Brother, please forgive me. We do nothing with that verse. We do nothing with that verse. Are you feeling the struggles of persecution. Peter joins his voice with that of Timothy when he tells us that we should not be surprised when we face fiery trials, which is an umbrella that the protection or the persecution fits under. And if we are not surprised by something, we, we are to be expecting it, knowing that it is coming, living in such a way that it is the expectation. Are you living such an outward expression of your faith that it is just a part of your expectation that others will mock and make fun of you. Sometimes I know that that I get nervous about associating myself as a Christian, not because I am ashamed of my beliefs, but because I am ashamed of the public perception of what the church in America has become, and I don't want to be associated with that perception. That's a huge topic, and man, it can't be fully addressed here in this sermon this morning. Our next sermon series, when we finish with First Peter after next week, we'll be looking at Isaiah and how we as a church are called to speak into the culture around us as the prophets of old did. But before I fully moved past, move past the discussion, I, I do feel the need to call something out. I've, I've been known to speak up when I feel like, like one party has, has pushed things too far, like when New York passed that bill last year that furthered abortion rights. And so it can only become easy, and, and so it can become easy to demonize a political party, but I encourage us all to realize that neither party is a Christian party. Vice President Pence made this incredibly clear during his speech, which had to have been vetted many times as it was made at the Republican National Convention. And, and, and this is what he said. This is his direct quote. He said, let us run the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on old glory, the flag, and, and all she represents. Let us fix our eyes on this land of heroes and let their courage inspire. And let's fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and freedom and never forget that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that means freedom always wins. As many of us are aware, this is a mixed quote from Hebrews 12, which reads, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Our vice president replaced Jesus with the flag. That, my friends, is heresy, straight up. I've seen many respond saying that his intentions were good, to which I reply, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. This is not okay. And clear evidence that we cannot let political parties do the talking for the church. I'm not saying that you can't or shouldn't vote for his party. It's not my place to tell anyone who to vote for, and I refuse to tell anyone who to vote for. What I am saying is that we cannot expect a political party to do our talking for us. They will get it wrong. Their mission, their purpose is to run a country, not to proclaim biblical truth. Man, we can't even let our so-called Christian leaders do the talking for us. As we saw this past week when Jerry Falwell was asked to step down from his position as the president of Liberty University after a sex scandal broke. God does not intend for us to let others speak for us. He wants to use each of us in his mission to bring about his kingdom. And that means we can't hide behind other agendas or let others do the talking, but that we individually personally are called to proclaim the good news to our neighbor. That we are called to live lives that, that disassociate ourselves from the public narrative. We are called to love our neighbor, to submit to unjust situations for the sake of Christ's witness. Throughout this letter, Peter has called us not to put ourselves and our agendas first, but to put first the agenda of God and his mission to save the lost. And man, that's scary because that's uncomfortable. We're much more comfortable being fat and happy sheep in the pen while God goes out and rescues the lost one. We like to think that the life in the pen with the rest of the herd is, is a comfortable life. But even in the herd, we are subject to the wind and the rain and the cold. We are still subject to hunger and thirst. The darkness of night is still there. And as each of us knows, we are also called or that, sorry, not called, but as each of us knows, we are also the sheep that goes astray and to whom God chases after and brings back to the fold. While we are here on earth, it is not God's intention that we be fat and happy sheep, but that we be the tools he is using for ministry. And again, man, that's hard. For with it comes mocking and teasing and ridicule. And it's, it's easy to get defensive, right? Especially when we're being called on for our bad behavior. And sometimes it can be tempting to think that we are, are suffering, that, that our persecution is because of the bad things that we have done. How many times have I sinned and wanted to act like my punishment was persecution? You know, if someone else had done this, you'd give them a pass. But because it's me, man, you're just throwing the book at me. And for that reason, I am so thankful that Peter added verse 15 which reads, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. We will suffer for our faith, but we must not confuse suffering for our faith with suffering for the results of our failings. 
in his list of things to avoid. He covers, man, Peter covers the whole spectrum from murder to being a busybody. Suffering for our sins does not prove your allegiance to Christ. It may only prove that you have refused to leave behind your former passions. Though we feel the same in the suffering as the result of our sins as, or sorry, though we feel shame in the suffering as the result of our sins, as Peter writes in verse 16, there is no shame in suffering as a Christian. We do not need to be ashamed of what we believe and why we believe it. Christian suffering is an inevitable reality for Christians. If we are not suffering, but instead, if we are setting up boundaries, be they political, socioeconomic, relational, if if we are putting up boundaries between the church and suffering, the church and persecution, it is possible that we are more like the world and less like Christ. So how are we doing with that? Are you suffering for the sake of Christ? Or have we set up boundaries? Have we insulated ourselves from the persecution that accompanies our faith? Have we chased after the idols of the world, the, the health and the wealth? Have we become fat and happy sheep, forgetting what it means to be part of the church? And have we ignored the mission that God has called us to? If those questions are convicting for you, know that you are not alone. (laughs) They are incredibly convicting for me as well. As much as I like to think that I put God's mission before my personal desires, hopes, and ambitions, though I like to think that I put God's mission before my public image and what people think of me, I know that I fail regularly at doing these things. And so verses like this are good for me, just as they are good for you. They call us back to our true purpose here on earth. They call us back to the recognition that life is not supposed to be easy. And that if we are pursuing health and wealth over the mission of God, then we are pursuing idols. That if we are more concerned about defending the public image agenda and victory of our political party, then we are more concerned with idols than we are the mission of God. That if we are more concerned with our public persona, then we are more concerned with our idols than we are the mission of God. And the mission of God is our true purpose here on earth. God knows we need that wake-up call because God knows that we all fail in being used in his mission to bring about his kingdom. And as we fail, there is forgiveness and grace at the cross. For this is why Christ suffered. Jesus Christ suffered for the sin of the whole world on that cross, that those sins would be forgiven, and he died one time for all time, for all the sins of the world. So no matter how great your sin, how huge your failure, there is forgiveness for you at the cross. Have you pursued the idols of health and wealth? There is forgiveness for you at the cross. There is forgiveness at the cross for Pence's heresy. There is forgiveness at the cross for Jerry Falwell Jr.'s failures. There's forgiveness at the cross for the walls that you have put up between yourself and the mission that God has called you to. There's forgiveness at the cross for the daily failings and sins that we have committed. There's forgiveness at the cross for the sins that you want no one to know about. There is forgiveness at the cross. Though we will encounter consequences for our actions here on earth, know that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, And because of your faith in him, that though there are consequences here on earth and in this life, God looks at you and doesn't see any of your sin. 
but instead sees the righteousness of the one in whom you believe. Instead of your sin, God sees Jesus. Rest in that. Rest in Christ's finished work on the cross. May his suffering on the cross pull us out of our indifference and avoidance of his mission here on earth. And may we rest in his finished work as we join him, are used by him in his mission so that we will not feel shame, but that we would rest in the confidence and the joy of Jesus Christ. The one who has done the work, the one who has purchased forgiveness, the good shepherd who chases after us as we wander and calls us back into the fold, the one who equips us for the ministry that he has called us to, the one who gives us what we need, the one who comforts us in our suffering, the one who suffered for us. What a fantastic and wonderful, amazing, gracious, and all-powerful God we serve. Amen.